All right, hello and welcome to the Bean Talking with Peak Performers podcast. On this podcast, we talk to peak performers in their field so you can then go perform at your best. Just before I start this episode, I want to talk to you guys about an initiative that I've started and that is producing podcasts for business owners and people that want their own amazing show and amazing marketing content on the back end of that. A little bit more about that at the end of the show, but for now, let's get into our guest for today and that is Peter Knight. Peter Knight has been actively involved in golf at a professional level for over 40 years. He coaches out of Melbourne's Yarra Bend Golf Course, and he's actually only one of four master professionals with the PGA of Australia. Peter has successfully coached players at the state and national level, as well as running golf programs for the Australian Institute of Sport, Golf Australia, Taiwan Golf, Golf Victoria, New South Wales Golf, and the New South Wales Institute of Sport. So when it comes to golf, this is the man to talk to he knows everything about improving your swing so incredible show for this one and let's get into it and let's go tim thank you so much for coming on the show um i really really appreciate it Um, you are a pga golf pro yes uh, someone with a lot of experience in the golfing industry Uh, you also run lessons here at the arab bend as people watching along we've got an amazing backdrop here of the, the, the driving range. Yeah. Um, exciting for me because this is also, uh, was my local course too. So it's fantastic um, to be able to have you on. Um, that's my sum up of you, but for people listening on that, yeah, don't know about you, tell us a bit about yourself. I, one of the ways to become a professional is to do a, a three-year traineeship or apprenticeship, which I did, and I completed that um, or started actually 1978 straight after school. Uh, you mentioned before about Monash University. I actually enrolled in Monash and then uh, I was offered a, a role as a trainee pro and I went in and I deferred. So I could probably, that was 78. I, I, could, I reckon I'd probably still got a live deferral. I could go oh, back yeah. if I wanted to. <laughs> but I don't think I will. No. Um, but golf's been fantastic for me because I started playing with aspirations to become a player who travels the world just like like most do when they first start out. Um, I wasn't good enough and that realisation came reasonably quickly because of the depth of competition. And I had already begun to do a little bit of coaching before I finished that traineeship. And then once I did finish that, then I started to do a lot more coaching. And, and, and between then and now, the intervening years I've, I've worked at um, resort golf courses, as head professional, uh, private golf courses, I've coached at public golf courses and driving ranges, um, my experiences sort of at a, at a higher level. In New South Wales, I was state coaching director, I coached the state teams there and uh, when New South Wales Institute of Sports set up their inaugural uh, golf program, then I was head coach of that for nine years okay. and then uh, came back to Melbourne uh, Golf Australia at the time was looking for a national coaching director so they approached me to do that and I did and helped set up the or re-establish the Australian Institute of Sport Golf Program and then after I finished there I decided to I wanted just to go back and and just coach mm. you know without all of the the other peripheral things because coaching was what I enjoyed most so I've been here at Yarra Bend now, or our team has been here at Yarra Bend for about 10 years. Mm, fantastic. There's so much there that I that I want to talk on, um, peak performance training, uh, Australian mm. Institute of Stores. I'll, I'll get into that, of course. Um, but I want people to understand, because most 
good golf courses have a golf pro. Yes. But but for the layman doesn't really understand what the golf pro's job actually is and, and what the benefit of, of that that they can provide. So can you can you sort of touch on yeah, what what the golf pro is mainly here to do at, at, at good quality golf courses? Mm. The the role of the golf pro at a golf course has actually evolved over time. So when uh, up until probably 15, maybe 20 years ago, the golf pro was a, um, a specialist, but a specialist in a lot of different areas. So uh, we would need to know the retail side of things, of running a, a golf shop. We would need to be able to coach. We would need to be able to repair golf clubs, um, advise on uh, rules and competitions and things like that, and just general, just have a general knowledge, but quite deep knowledge of all things golf. But in the last 20 years, there's been a, a, a change to more specialisation. So when I first started coaching, there was no full-time coaching role uh, because coaching wasn't as prevalent as what it is now. It wasn't, it wasn't that it wasn't seen as important as it is, but I think just societal changes, you know, we want to become... We want to become better at what we do as quickly as possible and it doesn't matter whether that's you know music academia or sport or anything else and the best way to do that is to have coaching from someone from an expert who knows what they're doing and that'll help us to become better faster we'll enjoy it more and, and then perform better as well so over that period of time it's changed a lot so a lot of golf clubs still have the the professional who's an export expert across the range but more and more now, uh, there are experts who are specialising either in club fitting, um, particularly coaching, or even moving into management at golf management roles at golf courses. And, and of course, those who are in those specialist roles are better than what they would be if they were a generalist. Mm. Very cool. Mm. Well, yeah. So there's a lot you provide, not just uh, not just here's a here's a really good golfer that can teach you some stuff. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot more. Absolutely. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Um, so let's get into, yeah, because this show, I, I love to talk about peak performance as much mm -hmm. as possible. Um, what was that experience like, um, you know, through that um, Australian Institute of Sport? Who did you come across that, that really impressed you? And, um, yeah, what what were you able to do there that, that I guess, in a humble way or, or, you know, that you were really proud of too? I know there was a lot of questions there, but... Um, oh, that's okay. Yeah. The, the, the nice thing about athletes who want to become good is they have a level of a necessary level of obsession and I mean really anybody who wants to become good has to have that so it's noticing patterns of uh, what people or players or, or golfers do in order to become good and then tracking the way that they become good so over time there have been you know numerous players who've been absolutely brilliant and a lot of the time, those players take time to become good. So especially a sport like golf, if you want to become a good golfer, you have to be in it for the long haul. So that's, you know, working reasonably hard with gradual process, uh, progress. You'll have, there'll be peaks and things like that. And then it's trying to do as many things as well as you possibly can to enhance your skill and perform better. So over time, all of the players over the last... 10 to 15 years, male and female, who've come to prominence on the world stage, uh, have come through 
state-based programs, national-based programs. And so I've either, uh, some of them I've been involved with as a coach, others I've just, you know, watched from a fairly close distance to see how they've, how they've progressed. So, you know, we look at golfers who are, um, say, the best of our male players at the moment, Adam Scott, uh, Mark Leishman, Cameron Smith, uh, those sorts of players on the men's side and then on the women's side, particularly now, Hannah Green, who's, who's doing extraordinarily well, Minji Lee, who's been doing very well over the last period of time. So those, those players, when they come through as and having seen them as juniors and progressing, it's, it's trying to say, well, what do they have? What are the traits that they have that have made them very, very good? And the thing that stands out more than anything else is the obsession to become good. Yeah. Yeah. So the obsession to become good, that's fascinating. Um, what do you think drives someone, in your opinion, to have that obsession and then on the back end, the behaviours that follow? There's so many different things. It's got to come from inside. Yeah. And if we look at different sports and they, you know, there are some established, you know, hotspots for different sports around the world. And some of the key ingredients is that the, the athletes in whatever sport it is, golf is included, that they've been encouraged to perform well. They've had some opportunity. There've been uh, other members of their peer group who've pushed them because they're competitive and they're all at a very similar level. All they want to do is beat each other. Mm. And so that, that rivalry, that friendly rivalry for the most part, pushes them. And then there's usually someone else there who can guide them to some extent, a coach or coaches who can provide the information that's going to help them to develop their skill. And then from there, they just continually, you know, get better and better. Now, there's been, you know, for every player like the ones I've mentioned that are, you know, sort of in the world top, top 50 or top 20, uh, some of them have been, been number one. There's another you know, few hundred that have been, as they're coming through the ranks, who've been at a fairly similar um, progress, mm. but then for whatever reason don't achieve the levels that these players do. And I think a lot of that then speaks to the mental side of the game of golf. Mm. I mean, I think we all, or, or mental side of anything, but, but specifically golf is a game that, I mean, I'm, I'm a casual player uh, and I know that, um, but... Golf teaches you a lot about life, a lot about patience, mm. a lot about um, how to deal with stress. Yeah, making a putt on the 18th green to, you know, win win the win the you know Australian Open or the or the, yeah. or the US Masters, like Tiger Woods to make that putt. You know, there's the um, famous YouTube clip where any he's like he makes um, it's really long putt and it like almost rolls to the cup. And stops and then slowly goes in. I, I, I don't remember. That was a chip. Yeah, at the, oh, it was at a the, chip at the Masters on the yeah. back of the 16th green. Yes. Like, how do you do that? You know. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I don't know if he. Yeah, he, yeah. So, so there's a lot, um, and we'll get into that as well. But, but yeah, talk about I guess a bit of the mentality um, that that it teaches you just by playing and, and taking golf a bit more seriously? Okay, the, the number one thing in golf performance is skill. And if we think of uh, players and their development, and we, we just take, say, skill, the skill component and the mental, 
the mental skills component, so the technical skills and mental skills. When a player uh, is starting out or, or reaches a, a relatively um, you know, good level, not, not outstanding, not professional level, but just they're coming good, the most important thing they can develop is their technical skills. Right. Because if they've got brilliant mental skills but their technical skills aren't very good, they can't think their way to a good score because their technical skills will let them down all the time. Then we get to the other end of the continuum and, and you, you mentioned, you know, Tiger and, and, you know, players like that, if there is another player in history who's ever been <laughs> like that, where they're in a position to win a tournament, their skills are fantastic, but they're in, they're in a field of players whose skills are exceptional. So then the medal skill levels, all of a sudden they start to play a bigger role. So across that continuum, the technical skill um, becomes not less important but less influential because we assume the technical skills are really mm. high. And so then it's, the mental stuff comes in. There's a, there's a lot that will come from experience. So players have to have a belief that they can perform well. Some of that's going to be ingrained. It's like you watch a group of young players and one player, for whatever reason, seems to have this level of confidence that the, his peers don't or her peers don't. Then when they're in competition and they're under pressure, they'll be feeling the pressure, they'll be nervous, but in spite of that, they can still perform quite well. Whereas other players who might have great uh, levels of skill, high levels of skill, when they get put in a, a pressure situation, um, they don't prevail. Mm. Almost every single golfer has to go through that stage and it's only by getting into positions where their, their competitive skills are tested, their skills are tested uh, under pressure that they actually learn to be able to cope with that. So they, they, they don't really overcome it. They don't overcome nerves or anything like that. They learn to um, play in that, in that state of nervousness and you know, some, some low-level anxiety. Yeah, so it's fascinating to watch what they do. And every player is a little bit different. But the key things we observe is this player is really good when, you know, they're competing under pressure. Yeah, definitely. Um, you said something there, they don't get rid of the anxiety, they, they learn how to deal with it. So is there ways in training that you can simulate it? I don't, I don't suggest you can simulate it 100%, but, but how do you kind of get someone to that point? of dealing with their stress, with their, with their nervousness. Like, I mean, it might be helpful for the local punter even playing cricket, like, you know, last over, got to gotta keep them to seven runs yeah. sort of thing. Um, or or local, uh, local golf pro as well. How do you, is there a way that you can simulate that? We can simulate it by, there's a couple of ways of answering the question. There's, so first of all, we can simulate it by having them compete against their peers having them do some competitive skills where there's a score attached, um, whether that be something like, uh, you know, X number of putts hold from a certain distance, hitting shots and having, uh, measuring the proximity to the hole of, you know, short chip shots or pitches or things like that. Um, but competing against peers is the big thing. So that's, that's part of trying to simulate the pressure. And then there's the... How does a player learn to be able to deal with that? And then there's standard things like establishing routines. So they can uh, fall, not fall back on the routine, but they can just go into automatic mode. 
you know, we normally think of a, a shot routine as being the steps that a player takes um, from the time they approach the golf ball. But if we think of a, a routine as having a series of steps, so there's a decision-making step, what club am I going to use, where's my target, what shot shape am I going to produce, then the, there's the like the formulation of like a, a, a mental physical blueprint or representation of that. So they're imagining playing the shot and that's that includes visual component, feel component. Some players have a practice swing to enhance that. Then there's the, the third step where we observe them approaching the ball and going through a ritualized series of steps. So they're pretty much in automatic mode and that will have its own rhythm for each player as well. So it's like they're becoming more and more familiar and more and more comfortable with where they are simply because they've, they've followed this process thousands of times in mm. the past and then they can execute. Yeah, so their attention is mostly focused on the target. And then there's the, the post-shot uh, process or post-shot routine. You know, if they hit a shot, we get them to acknowledge the fact that they have played a good shot and enjoyed it because it's almost like that's the message to the brain, let's do this again, we like it. Uh, if they hit a shot that they don't like, then they will definitely experience either you know frustration or anger or something like that, but they need to l allow that to pass fairly quickly and almost dissociate from that so that it doesn't affect them for the next shot. Mm. So there's the, how do we deal with, the, with situations where there's pressure at play? And then how do we try and simulate those situations so the player learns to be able to practice with that but as you as you correctly mentioned there is no substitute for going in competition so mm -hmm. players need to compete as much as possible so they're they're putting themselves in that situation it's the only way to get used to it yeah it's almost um yeah confidence is gained by doing so no question yeah yeah con confidence is just comes from having the evidence that you can do something well yeah yeah fantastic um i want to talk a bit about technique um, and I guess I'll go back to Tiger because there's obviously things that Tiger's doing that is just right. Mm -hmm. um, so from a golf standpoint, what do you admire in his technique um, that maybe someone can, can implement um, themselves? Tiger's technique essentially doesn't have very much wasted motion at all. When he strikes the ball... He's able to get the club to meet the ball on the ground at the same time. Every player, every really good player can, but his is sort of, it's like there's something different about it. He has the ability to hit the ball out of the middle of the club face every time. Mm. Again, it's, it's the same as all world-class players, but it seems like there's something a little bit different about the way he does it. He does it better. Um, we're humans, so our movements always have like minor variations in them. Um, the less skilled players have bigger variation, and I'm talking about how the club meets the ball, how the body's moving, all those sorts of things. And the better the player is in any sport, the less variation there is in that movement. But not only is there less variation in the movement of a swing like Tiger's, but the movement is actually more correct. It has less unnecessary movement in it as well. Yeah. So, and a lot of that stuff has come from uh, training over a long period of time good coaching but there's something in there that he was born with who knows what it is and if we could bottle it we would <laughs> bottle it and sell it it's, yeah it's funny we recognize excellence when we see it 
and we can sort of try and say, oh, look, this is because such and such and such and such. And that's, that's all an expert, say an expert coach can pinpoint a lot of things. But the, the ingredient that we don't understand that the player is born with, we, we um, yeah, we still don't know. We don't know how to train it. We don't necessarily know what it is, even though we can recognise it. Yeah, mm. very cool. Um, do you have a favourite shot of his? We've all done, gone down um, YouTube rabbit holes. Do you have, do you have one that, that you just, you know, how did that happen? Um, there's exceptional shots where he's in trouble and he's able to manoeuvre the ball, you know, around obstacles, over obstacles, over and around obstacles, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Um, that's amazing. But just even just all his all his good shots, you mentioned the, the chip shot at the Masters. It's like that's a combination of skill. It's probably a little bit of luck as well, even though he, was, he would have been trying to hold that shot. Um, you know, he could go back there and, and try it again a number of times. <laughs> One of the... I, when Greg Norman was the the golfer for Australians, yep. and that was for a long period of time, he finished. He was a bridesmaid a lot of times, and one of those <laughs> was in USPGA, which um, Paul Azinger won. And Azinger hold a bunker shot on the, the final hole. I hope it was Azinger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to be corrected. There'll be someone. Else. All right, if you're listening, I'll pull over and Google it. <laughs> Google it. And uh, anyway, he went back the following day to try and reproduce that bunker shot on the last hole. And he had about eight shots and couldn't get the ball near the hole. The, po the hole hadn't been moved, so it was exactly the same shot. So, you know, there's, there's elements of luck there. Yeah. Um, You're hitting it at the right time, right wind speed, right, you know, section knows? on the club. Just who knows? a combination knows? of everything. Yeah. And probably the most famous was the, the first Masters that he lost where Larry Mize holed a, like a chip and run across the green on, a, on the 11th hole and playoff hole. And it, it just it went in the hole, and I mean that would have been soul destroying. It's what you can, there's nothing you can do, and it's yeah. a massive, massive amount of luck. Yeah. But some players seem to be able to do that, and others don't. Don't. Yeah. Um, I can explain that. Yeah, you can't. You can't. No. I'd also love to take this moment to ask you the same question. But um, do you have a favourite shot of yours that you've you've you know over your career? Um, you know, you just remember hitting it nicely and it did exactly what you wanted it to do. I don't know about any particular shot. The The one thing that never leaves us as golfers is hitting the ball correctly. Yeah. There's a distinctive sound, there's a distinctive feel, and it doesn't matter how many times you you perform that and hit one of those shots for, you know, appropriate to whatever standard we play at. Every time you hit it, it's like there's just this thrill of doing it and wanting to do it again and wanting to do it every single time. <laughs> yeah, I like to say because that shot usually comes on the 17th, 18th hole. Well, for me at least. Um, and that one good shot makes me come back again and again and again. <laughs> and often that one shot, and there's a lesson in this, often that one shot comes at the end of a you know, frustrating first 16 holes. Yeah. You've been trying all sorts of different things and haven't been able to figure out an answer to what you're doing. You don't even know what's wrong. And then, you know, you stand on the 17th or 18th hole and then, oh, just swing it. Like, just relax and make a swing. And then all of a sudden everything falls together. Well, so that, the lesson in that is yeah. just relax and swing right. it. 
Because I think that's the thing, right? People can get so caught up in, okay, keep my head down, keep this straight, knees width apart, bend the shoulders, uh, you know, and so on and so on and so mm-hmm. on. But the funny thing is what I've found is it's exactly what you just said. If you just relax and go, oh, you know, I've hit my best shots when I said, okay, I don't care anymore. You know, I, yeah. don't, I don't care anymore. I'm just going to hit the ball. And, yeah. and, and it, it happens. So... Yeah, let's let's touch on that a little bit. Um, how do you then have that mindset? Is it is it get out of the science of it and just just have fun, or what is the? Mm. It's allowing players to really understand there's a massive difference between practicing and playing. So practicing is all about it's all about me. It's all about how am I swinging the golf club. So there there will be technical thoughts and drills because you're trying to create a movement pattern that's going to be efficient, uh, powerful. And it's going to produce a result you want. Playing, on the other hand, is where you 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 want to operate pretty much an automatic, whatever level automatic is. And so there's much more of a target focus. So when you're when you're on the golf course, you, you may have most players will have like a swing thought, which is almost like the mortar that holds the swing together. But essentially, it's it's about the target. You know, there's my target. Here's the club I've got. This is the shot I'm going to play. What does it feel like? Maybe have a practice swing or even just, uh, as I mentioned before, that step in the routine where you're just imagining the shot and getting a, a physical feel for it even as you're imagining it and then you execute and then you have a result and then you walk to the next shot. But to get bogged down on uh, thinking about all of those different things about you know, what am I going to do to execute this shot? I've got to stand this way and swing this way, hold the club this way. This is how far back I need to swing it. Those, um, those things just, they bog you down and get you so far away from any sense of flow, which is what you know, an automatic movement would tend to imply you would have. Uh, so the, the more we get back to that, and you can practice that. So on the golf course, you can practice. You know, if you're on your own and you're thinking about your swing and you're not so much focused on target, you're on the golf course, but you're practicing. On the driving range, you can go through the same series of steps that you would go through on the golf course, following your routine, altering the target that you're hitting to on each shot, altering the club, maybe even, depending on skill level, altering shot shape. So you, be, you go more into performer mode or play mode, and that's on the driving range. Yeah. But the, the most important thing is that when, you, when you're playing and you're looking to create as good a score as you possibly can, then you need to be more target-oriented than, than swing-oriented. Mm-hmm. Target orientated. Mm. Yeah, that's definitely um, yeah something that is important. Having having a target in mind. I mean, that's that's any any life thing. If you don't have a goal, you you know the, the ship leaves the harbour without a map, sort of thing, and it's going to go off in all directions. That's so, right. I guess if you're zigzagging around the golf course, which some of us I've done, have done, <laughs> um, it just means you're not yeah you don't have a goal. So very cool. Mm. Um, I'd love to get into a bit of your teaching um, experience and, and that sure. sort of thing. And, and my first question to that is, um, who are the people that you really love teaching that, that for you it really fuels your your why and your passion and, and, and it keeps you – because you're, you're, that's your main main thing at the moment is it's your yeah. golf ball here and you're a teacher yeah. to golf lessons. So, um, yeah, what are the – what are the types of people that you just love teaching that you walk away from that lesson going, that's amazing? Broad players question, who, I know. Yeah, players who 
and and the the type of person is like different too. Yeah. Whether it's someone who is just beginning the game, who's got uh, you know, passion or a, or an interest in learning the game, and they it's sort of they soak up the information and they can start to implement, and then when they hit a good shot again to their standard, they like you can see it on their face. They're excited about having hit that shot, and they of course they want to hit it again. So and that happens thankfully. It happens, you know, multiple times every day. So it's like I get a kick out of that. So if it's someone who's never picked up a golf club before, makes a swing at it, the first three, they miss the ball. The fourth one, they hit it, maybe not effectively, but they've hit it. And all of a sudden they're excited by that. Like I get a thrill out of that. Through to, you know, a really highly skilled player who actually feels like they they get a little bit more control. Generally it takes a bit more to please them. (laughs) But it's the same thing. So it's, it's actually helping people to become better. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's the beginner learning to take their first steps or a professional player looking to, you know, just fine-tune something just a little bit just to help them help them perform better. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And um, something that I'd love to get your opinion on, so someone that's been playing golf for a while, um, actually this is a direct problem that I have, so I'm being selfish to my listeners and – and trying to pick your brain here. But I think someone will get some value from this question. Um, I've had a set of golf clubs since I was 16. Obviously, yeah. I've grown a lot, mm-hmm. um, not just in height but also in my gut. <laughs> um, but and now I'm finding that maybe these clubs, okay, they're, they're a bit old, they're, they're a bit worn down. Um, great birthday present for my dad. You know, no respect, no disrespect, dad. Um, but I'm finding they're a little bit too short perhaps now because I'm, I'm – um, so how does someone who is looking to upgrade their clubs, because you can spend a bit of money on it, you can. Um, how do you make sure that you get the right fit for your for yourself? The best way is to see an expert mm. who understands club fitting. So the, the technology um, that's changed over the years has made a massive difference to the feel, the balance of clubs and the way they perform. I mean, skill is still the most important thing. So it doesn't – a new golf club or a better golf club won't necessarily overcome skill flaws. Uh, Even though the the marketing attempts by all the companies (laughs) for golf balls and clubs tell you that if you use this, you'll play your best golf ever. My final year project, um, one of the case studies was a golf um, ball – golf ball and we had to figure out okay well how do you message this golf ball to make people want to buy it in in the short term that was the evil way to describe it but you're right there's a lot of marketing attempts so yeah 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 there is (laughs) but the components have changed a lot too so a good club fitter will uh ensure that the clubs are the correct length that the the properties of the shaft so i'm not just talking about the material whether it's steel or graphite, which is the two main ones, um, but how the shaft flexes, its its stiffness or rigidity or, or flex, softness, uh, varies from player to player. And, that, and the requirement for that changes mostly because of the player's club head speed. You know, if they're able to generate more club head speed, then the shaft that they need needs to be firmer in, in order to operate properly for them. So it's, so it's being able to determine that. Um, you know, grip thickness based on the different 
player's size of hands. And there are other components as well that go into that. So an, an expert understands those things and can fit a club to a player. The nice thing now is that having a set of clubs fitted to you doesn't cost any more than going in and buying a new set of clubs straight mm. off the shelf. Yeah, because that's all part of the sales process. I mean, mm. they want to make sure you've got the right fit, the right, you know, you're comfortable with the clubs because that's going to make your purchase decision a lot better. Correct. If you get clubs fitted and you go, oh, these are great, mm. you're going to purchase. Yeah. So um, is that something that, that you do or, or do, you, do you have connections that you like to use? What's, or? I do some club fitting. I understand the process and, and I know how to do it. I wouldn't class myself as an expert in it, mm -hmm. but I can, so I, I, for example, I wouldn't, um, you know, I wouldn't pretend to be capable of fitting a tour player because it's it's too nuanced with uh, the change of mm. you know shaft and all that sort of yeah. thing. Yeah, but for the type but of for person, the average player, no yeah. problem. Yeah, the no average problem. player. Yeah, and generally we do it. We'll base it on evidence for them. Mm. So, for example, we'll have a. A unit that'll monitor how the how the golf ball's moving, and so the the the, um, the golfer can see what their shot distribution patterns are. In other words, are they hitting the ball pretty much into the same spot, distance and accuracy-wise, or are they going all over the place? And how does that compare to say a different shaft and a different club head? What about length, which is you know what most players are, are quite interested in, of course. Uh, does this particular combination of head and shaft hit the ball further than what either they're currently using or a different combination? So the player can actually see that. They'll, they'll feel the difference. They'll be able to notice the difference with the ball flying. But then if they've got a readout on a computer screen, which is demonstrating, them to, demonstrating to them an objective measure of improvement, then that's convincing as well. Mm, definitely. I think that's a really cool spot to end it on. Um, then I've got two more, two more questions. Um, just the first one is um, what's coming up for you in the next sort of six, six to 12 months that you're really excited about? Um, and then the last one, yeah, how people contact you. But yeah, what's, what's coming up for you? Um, I, uh, I produce a, a YouTube video every week. Yes. Actually, Which I'm I sorry was, I didn't even I didn't mention that. Before. That's okay. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. And uh, I'm especially excited at the moment because I've had a really good run over the last couple yeah. of months. No, one thirty thousand views on one video. I know, it's in a week. Incredible, <laughs> in a week. Wow. So if there are any other, that's uh, just going to be evergreen. You, any yeah. other, any other YouTubers listening, they'll probably go, "That's small fry." <laughs> <laughs> Come and have a look at my channel. Yeah, uh, but it's it's big for me. Uh, it's nothing to not. There's stuff in the back of your eyelids out. That's a really good achievement. No, and the nice thing that, that's come from that is like quite a big international audience who I have no opportunity to reach except except through the YouTube. So what I've started to do is actually create online courses so Great. people can I'll actually do that. And the, I released the first one uh, in December uh, 2019 on course strategy. So, uh, And my plan... Uh, this year, 2020, is to create at least two or three more, just different ones. And the first of those, now I'm really putting myself on the line. No, I no, I love it. it. That's is, exactly why I asked the question yeah, because in six to 12 months time, I'm going to send you a message and go, Peter, how's that going? Yeah, <laughs> send me a link to the course. I literally oh, sorry, every, I, done it. I, I do this because I ask this question on every podcast and then at the end of every podcast, I, I actually write down for the for the guests that's on what, what was the thing that they said. So Yeah, so then, well, the, 
it's uh, it's up on the whiteboard at home. Yep. The course, the working title of the course is Breaking 100. Right. Which so Breaking 100, 100 is sort of like the uh, the benchmark for a lot of players. They've never had the ability to go around 18 holes and score less than 100. Mm. Uh, so the this particular course will be a, a combination of video to help them understand, you know, the key points about the golf swing, drills to help them improve what they do, work and practice sheets to uh, monitor their progress and other, I'll, I'll say other bits and pieces because it's not totally formulated in my mind, but it'll be a combination of video, worksheets and that sort of thing. So um, that's going to be a fairly big project, but yeah. yeah, six months time, I think I can get it done. Fantastic. Fantastic. And um, if someone's heard something uh, through this podcast, they want to um, look at more of your content, but also reach out to you, uh, maybe get some lessons here at Yarra Bend. Mm -hmm. um, or yeah, Bend, or look at the online courses. How does how do people reach out to you? Online uh, through Peter Knight Golf, which is my website. Yeah. Uh, .com .au. So it's K N K N I G H T. Yep. Yeah. I have a YouTube channel by the same name, Peter Knight Golf. And as far as coaching goes, they can come and see me at the Arabian Golf Course. Fantastic. They can also uh, one day a week I coach at Huntingdale Golf Course as well, so they can they can go there for lessons. But but mostly I'm here, and I'm here at Yarraben from uh, Tuesday to Saturday, so I'm here five days. Fantastic. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Peter, I've been Tim. You've been Peter. We've been talking. Thanks, Tim. And uh, thank you. My pleasure. Cheers. All right, there you have it, the episode with Peter Knight. I hope you guys really enjoyed that. If you want to contact Peter, I'll leave the details in the show notes below to his website and contact information. Send him a message and tell him the Bean Talking podcast sent you. He'll really enjoy that. All right, and apart from that, I'd love for you guys to do me a quick favor. If you enjoyed the show, give me a like and a subscribe, especially if you're on iTunes. Leaving a five-star written review will really help the show out and it also helps me know who's listening along and enjoying the show. So that would be amazing if you could do that and thank you very much. Apart from that, let's talk about podcast production. If you're someone who's listening along to this show and you really want your own podcast and you're thinking that would be a fantastic thing for me to do, I just don't know where to start. This is something that I can help you now do. I've been working with a number of clients now this year and the results that we're getting is really fantastic. They're not only having amazing shows that are getting really good results, but also the marketing content that we're getting off the back end of it is just fantastic. They're using it in their social media campaigns. They're using it as content for a daily basis and they're using it in email to reach back out to clients. I'm getting some fantastic reviews on that one. So if you're someone who wants to start your own podcast, please do send me a message at tim at beantalking.com.au. You can also join the free Facebook group that I've now started called How to Start a Podcast. The links to all of that will be in the show notes below and I really look forward to seeing you in there and hearing from you. Apart from that, I'll see you guys in the next episode.